0: In 2 Corinthians, our goal is to start um, with some review and wrap up of chapter 5, and then get into the first half of 2 Corinthians chapter 6, okay? Um, but before we do that, I've asked Brother Tim to go ahead and lead us in word of
1: given us, that you've given us your rhythm, um, that we have this situation, this time together to meditate upon it, to think about it, to recognize uh, your will for us in your work. We thank you so much for all these things, help us uh, to find the things we need for our lives, Watch up for us to this name, amen.
0: Amen. All right, so... In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, this is continuing Paul's line of reasoning. He he shares his heart uh, with the Corinthians and talks about the motivation in his ministry. The motivation in his ministry, uh, why he does what he does, and he lists several kinds of things uh, in there. We... We've talked about, even back in uh, chapters 3 and 4, how he had beheld the glory of God. um, And that in chapter 5, we see things such as the...
2: Closer to your mouth? Closer to your mouth. Okay.
0: Okay. He talks about the fear of the Lord and you, and you, uh, that persuading him, that moving him to persuade men. In in verse eleven, uh, we see in verse fourteen the love of Christ compelling him uh, to not regard anyone according to the flesh, but acor- uh, according to the Spirit. Uh, seeing everyone is having an eternal destiny and and. Uh, And wanting everyone to be reconciled. Uh, In verses 18 and 19, he talks about this ministry of reconciliation. It's, It's important for us to recognize that the hostility between God and us was initiated by us. We are the ones who have rebelled and gone against Him, but this idea of Uh, reconciliation, this idea of new creation, is not our own doing. It is, it's God. God is the one who initiates that. And we see, um, if you look in the book of Romans, one of the themes that you see, especially in in chapters 1 through 3, chapters 1 through 3 describe how we have messed things up. And chapters four and five don't talk about what we can do to fix it because that's impossible. But rather, it shows uh, what God has done through Jesus. Jesus is, uh, is the means by which which we can have that reconciliation with God. Uh, we uh, somebody mentioned in our last class, verses 18 through 21, just seeing how God is the one who's doing so much of this. And so because of what God has done, Paul sees himself in verse 20 uh, and 21 as ambassadors. Thinking about what an ambassador does. We've, talk, we've had discussions about that. Talking about being a representative, not do, having our own agenda, but representing the one who has sent uh, us. Think, think of how Paul views his ambassadorship. Because he's an ambassador, what does he do in verse 20?
3: Yeah.
1: He's making the appeal
0: of God to the people. Okay, he, he's making an appeal. He's begging and pleading. Um, he speaks with the authority of an ambassador. That's one component of an ambassador. They have the authority given to them by, by the sender. He speaks with him, authority, but he's not forcing people. He's not twisting their arms. He's begging He's pleading with them, be reconciled uh, with God. Uh, do we think of ourselves as ambassadors? Do, do we have the message? Do we know the message? Do we share the message? Um, do we share a message of hopelessness and damnation? Or do we show and share a uh, A message of reconciliation. Do we appeal? Do we beg? Do we plead? Um, Just some things to to think about. Um, We had had a question on verse 21 in our last class, but before we do, was there anything else big picture in chapter 5 that stood out to you? Okay, um, verses 20 and 21. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so we, the question was brought up as to what do you make of verse 21 when Paul describes what God did through Christ, making him who knew no sin to be sin for us. I had some some thoughts, did a little bit of uh, reflection, research on it, but wanted to get your guys' thoughts first. The uh, it's important, or at least interesting, I believe, Andy Cantrell. Uh, put it this way um, that we at one time knew nothing of righteousness and by comparison Jesus knew nothing of sin and so we see uh, uh, Jesus who knew no sin become, uh, becoming sin for us and then uh, that we might partake in this righteousness this righteousness of God. Yes.
4: I also see it as uh... Christ as our sin bearer, because we could not bear our own sins away. Um, only Christ could do that. So in essence, he became sin as our sin bearer to remove sin from us. So, doesn't exactly answer the question, but it's another way to look at it, I think.
0: Hmm. That, that's a good point. So, so thinking of uh, Christ bearing our uh, our sins, the ones that we can't carry for ourselves.
3: Yeah, bottom. I'm almost on the words here. I agree with what Mike said. The, the idea uh, that he who said he who knew no sin became sin, I, I don't think it's stated in the second part, but I think we can make the assumption that we who were not righteous have become righteous. Can we become righteous? So there's almost a role reversal there. You know, uh, G- Jesus uh, in His act, He He uh, uh, He made that all possible,
1: and the righteousness of God became uh, possible for us. So we knew no righteousness
0: before. That that that's a good way of, of thinking of that. Of uh, in a sense, I would say that there there is a a role reversal. Uh, Christ has borne our sins. Um, not that he he is perpetually um, the recipient or uh, of the wrath of God, but he he came into enemy territory to pull us out, uh, and the only way that he could do that was by becoming that sin for us. So um, you can see throughout. Um, Romans, you can see throughout Isaiah some of these ideas of um, of the consequences of sin being death, and there and you can see wrath and condemnation. You can't understand salvation without knowing that there's there's condemnation as well. But seeing that Jesus is the justifier, he is the justifier for us. Uh, through his perfect uh, sacrifice. Some translations will render this, uh, he became an offering for our sins. Uh, perhaps a way that might give some clarity to that. Yes, I have.
1: Galatians Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on the tree. So that Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, might Comes to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit of the faith. So he became the curse, I guess. Because, you know, some would say that we were never scheduled to die. We were and that he would not, he was not a substitution for us. But I think these verses point more to the fact that he was. He became the curse. He became the sin. It was placed on him. In Isaiah 53, the great uh, uh, chastisement was upon him. By uh, he, our iniquities were placed on upon him. And I think what that does for us is really help us to comprehend just how how, how significant our sin is, what our sin means that that he had to come to. You know, it's just so hard to think of, of that in my place.
0: That, that's a good point. About Just about every other verse in Isaiah 53 points to um, chastisement of consequences of, of sin and him bearing that for us. And, and, and thinking of the seriousness of our sins... And recognizing that the death of Jesus is not something trivial Why couldn't it be that just God just forgave us without any kind of sacrifice? No, we need to see it, sin as severe as it really is and And then seeing the greatness and the love in in Christ's sacrifice Very good. Any other thoughts or comments before we jump into? Uh, chapter six Alright, um, if I could have somebody... Well, our goal is to get through about the first half of the chapter, but if someone would mind reading the entire, uh, entirety of 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Try to also, as we're reading, keep in mind that this, that this is still a continuous flow of thought, that he doesn't just jump topics, but uh, you can see his ambassadorship um, and his pleading continuing into chapter 6. Thank you, Josh. Working together with him, we also appeal to you,
2: don't receive the grace of God in vain, for he says, at an acceptable time, I listened to you, and in the day of salvation, I helped you. See, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. We are not giving anyone an an occasion for offense, so that the ministry will not be blamed. Instead, as God's ministers, we commend ourselves in everything by great endurance, by afflictions, by hardships, by difficulties, by beatings, by imprisonments, by riots, by labors, by sleepless nights, by times of hunger, by purity, by knowledge, by patience, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, through weapons of righteousness, for the right hand and the left, through glory and dishonor, through slander and good report, regarded as deceivers, regarded as deceivers yet true, as unknown yet recognized, as dying yet see, we live, being disciplined yet not killed, as grieving yet always rejoicing, as poor yet enriching many, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. We have spoken openly to you, Corinthians. Our heart has been opened wide. We are not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. I speak as to my children. As a proper response, open your heart to us. Do not be yoked together with those who do not believe. For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? What agreement does Christ have with light? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? And what agreement does the temple of God have with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God said, I will dwell and walk among them, and I will be their God. And they will be my people therefore come out from among them and be separate says the lord do not touch any unclean thing and i will welcome you and i will be a father to you and you will be sons and daughters to me says the lord almighty
0: okay so as we mentioned chapter 5 verse 20 he's pleading for them to be reconciled to God. And he continues some of that. Uh, here in chapter 6. Anything big picture that stands out to you. Um, ideas. Things that you want to discuss. Or maybe questions that you have. In this part. Yes Alan. What's
1: going on with- fact that he was meant to be sin. Verse one, uh, talks about working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Don't let it be in vain. All that was done for us, don't let it be worthless.
0: Empty, insignificant. Let it be important. That's a good point. Um, so, so, um, in verse 1 We then uh, as workers together with him also plead with you add uh, continue with that imploring idea Not to receive the grace of God in vain. Let's br- let's break that down a little bit. I think it's interesting that he he views um, Views this ministry as working together with him that that um, that they are co-laborers with God and Christ. Um, uh, in earthly terms, a lot of people will find their identity in their labor, in the work that they do. Do we find our identity in the labor in the vineyard that, we, that we've been called to do? Um, we, 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 are, we are working hand in hand with God. Um, he describes that pleading with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. And and then he continues on uh, making an application. Um, in in reference to uh, Isaiah 49. For he says, In an acceptable time I've heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now, um, what do you make of that idea and, And pleading with them to not receive the grace of God in vain?
2: we receive the grace of God in vain if we go against the direction we're supposed to be going so we um, obtain forgiveness for our sins it would make no sense to then turn right around and go back to those sins because what good is the sacrifice then the sins that we have been forgiven, but now we're filled up with the same issue we had before and need the forgiveness again. I think in the same way, there are any number of things that we could do that would go against the whole reason why we have the
0: grace. Right, uh, good point. So so um, one way in which we can receive the grace of God in vain is is Recognizing the the uh, the uh, the forgiveness that is being offered to us, and then saying, "You know what? I will accept that, and yet live, continue in that, nullifying the uh, the sacrifice of Christ." When Christ has called us, we can't stay the same. We've been called to be transformed. Yes,
3: Bob. Uh. Barnabas, uh, when Barnabas went off to Antioch it says then he arrived and witnessed the grace of God. He rejoiced and began to encourage them all with a resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. So you know, associated with grace, the instruction is to live according, you know, be, be true to the Lord. I think that, that fits in.
0: Good, good point. So, so living according to the call that that has been made. Yes, Stephanie. I
1: just see sincerity here and an authentic decision that comes from within, not from any pressure or without, um, not because you know someone's forcing you. Well,
3: because you're trying to impress someone, but because it's a true heart decision, and then it goes on, and I just feel like all the way through 13 is more be sincere,
5: be
0: authentic, be transparent. And that, that, that's a good point. Um, the sincerity of our of living out our lives, um, by faith, walking by faith. You see Paul pleading with them. He's not saying, well, you better not receive this grace of, uh, grace of God in vain or else. But he, he's saying, pour your heart into this work. Pour your heart into that. Yes, Luke. Yeah, I think
3: Joshua's point is right out. If you go back to chapter, to chapter 5 when he says, be reconciled to God in verse 20. I don't actually think he's saying to the Corinthians, you all need to be reconciled. I think he's,
2: this
0: is the message that the apostles are giving to the rest of the world as their ambassadors. Then he seems to kind of switch here. He's like, well, you know, this is what we're saying to people, you gotta be reconciled to God. And then he says, now because we are fellow workers, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Okay, so this would kind of make sense here. He's saying, if we're not going to tell people, you gotta be reconciled to God. Well, it wouldn't make any sense if the people who go to follow God then to walk away from God later, right? And then in verse fourteen, he even tells them again, which I really think fits this. He says, "Do not become partners with those who don't
4: believe." So that would be a, a backslide. Right? If you're going to go back, you could be reconciling God. But if you walk away from God again, you're becoming partners with those who don't believe. Then you're doing exactly what we're talking about. Very, right, very
1: good. Other
0: thoughts along with living as Christ has called us. Um, Part of that calling, part of that calling is to be an ambassador, to do this pleading, to, to implore. It would be receiving the grace of God in vain, for me to accept Christ and not share it with other people, that that would that would me essentially through my actions either show that it's it's selfish for me. I want to have salvation for myself, or else I don't see the sins of others as as great as it is. Um, we we see. Um, in 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 verse two in this reference to um, isaiah 49 and verse 8 this is this is a passage whenever you look at isaiah um, especially in the later chapters you can see connections to many messianic prophecies but you can also see how in to some extent what God is doing through Christ, he can also do through us. He's calling us to participate in uh, in this ministry. Um, It's not necessarily saying here in verse 2, today is the day to be saved. But, it, but looking at how Paul is using it, it seems to be he's saying today is the day that we get serious about the ministry. We are called to go, to, go out to the nations so that they can be saved. Um, it's, we're not called to live comfy American lives as Christians. We're called to go out to the world and implore that they be reconciled to God. Other thoughts on this? Yes, Alan.
1: Well, I was going to verse 3. Great. <laughs> I, uh, it says, give me no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed in the King James version and others say obstacles. I think one of the problems we have today in many circles is this tolerance. We want to uh, not offend anyone. We don't want to say something that's going to be offensive, so we're careful not to mention certain things that would be a negative in in, in the way that we approach people. But that's not what it's talking about. It's uh, to make an offense, to offend, in other places it's the same way, is to cause to sin. So when he says we don't want to put a an offense in someone's way we don't want to cause them to sin and if we cause them to sin then our ministry is going to have a problem who's going to want to listen to us if we cause them to sin so it's not just hurting somebody's feelings that's not what it's talking about it's talking about causing them to sin
0: good point so so looking at verses three and following um We, in our ministry... The ministry is not just for foreign evangelists or for preachers or for elders. That's for all of us. This ministry is part of the gift of grace. And so, as part of that... He says, we give no offense in anything. Alan mentioned that the, the idea of a stumbling block, and stumbling blocks can come in a number of ways. It can come in, in tolerance, it can come uh, in, in um, negative influence on other people, bad examples, or... or um, just any number of of ways, uh, but notice that it says we give no offense in anything it 's not like we give no offense in most things, or uh, the majority of things, no thing. D- uh, does Paul give an offense, and and on the flip side, what we see in in verse four, in, but in everything, in all things, we commend ourselves as ministers to God. It, it's it's not not a boasting of you better listen to me because I'm a I'm a minister of God, but he's saying. Look at how I am living. It's not about me. It's what Christ is doing in my life, like how he is working through me you, and, and using that as motivation to, to call them to open themselves to Christ. Oh, do I have a hand raised? And so he mentions it starting in verse 4 how he shows the gospel in his life he's describing what he has gone through as an ambassador as a follower of christ and so and so just think on these reflect on these uh, some of these we've already talked about in previous chapters, like chapter 1. Some of these we'll see later on in chapter 11, uh, as some of the things that he has gone through. But look, listen to this, in much patience, in tribulations, in needs, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in fastings, by purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, uh, by sincere love, the word of truth, the power of God, the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. And then verses 8 through 10, you can see um, sort of this paradox of how he may be perceived through through fleshly eyes from a worldly perspective, and yet him understanding the truth of his ministry um, by the Spirit. And so, um, in what ways does this uh, re- reflect the ministry of Paul, the ministry of Christ? You can see Christ in this as well. Um, yes, Tony.
5: Thank you, the same types of demonstrations, not through
0: Very good. Um, you, you can see the, out of everything that Paul endured, there would have been a lot of reasons for him to have changed his approach, or to abandon uh, his ministry, but the thing that he could not have on his conscience was doing anything that would discredit the ministry, that would discredit the gospel, that would discredit Christ. And so, uh, he describes all of this again. This this is what we're called for. We are called to follow in the steps of christ and that's that's how paul is describing and saying you know what whenever i came to you i didn't come with lofty speech i didn't come to you with uh with uh, flattery and and persuasiveness i came to you in in weakness and in meekness and i came to you showing the fruit of the spirit Uh, and and you see that um, throughout he he, um, he doesn't list out you're just one of many churches that I established. And by the way, I, I um, baptized a few of you, and I worked miracles in, in your presence, but he's talking about the evidence for his conviction, the evidence for his apostleship, uh, there, all the things that he has endured as a servant as a deacon as a as um, as a minister in the kingdom other things that stand out to you in, in here you can see you can see this fruit of the spirit you can see the um, the patience, the sincerity of love. You can see the power of God in all of this. Uh, we've mentioned already the, the tribulations and the stripes. Some of these things that... Uh, that he ha- didn't necessarily pursue, but that was just... The, that came with the territory of a, of a servant of Christ. And... Uh, it would, this requires, I think there's a purpose why he starts off in, in verse 4, with much patience. The rest of the stuff couldn't have really amounted to much, had it not been the patience that, that Christ taught him, that Christ transformed his life into,
4: Yeah, so you mentioned that um, Paul you know, was referencing um, as an apostle as well. Um, and I don't I don't disagree with that, that, that he had done that. I don't know that I see that in this chapter or in this section right here. Because when he says we, I think he's referring to him and Timothy. And, of course, Timothy was not an apostle. But I think that he's going back to verse 1 when he says we then as workers together, so he's just referencing the fact that they are all in Christ. They're all working together in the kingdom. And I maybe I just maybe I'm splitting hairs here, but I'm just not sure that he's actually pulling that card because he's trying to bring this this idea of as even though Paul and Timothy are ministers, he's wanting them to be the same thing. They could never be apostles, but they can be ministers like Paul and Timothy are. And go through the same things they are, um, and that's what he's encouraging
0: them to do. I mean, just a thought. And that's a fair point. Yes, in in verse four, he he emphasizes that they that they are ministers. That word diakonos, that 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 servant mentality.
2: Yeah, John. I think uh, personal. of a challenge. Uh, yeah, Paul was an apostle, but he was a Christian just like I am. And I'm just looking at myself. How would I react in afflictions and hardships and difficulties and being beaten and imprisoned? Would I, this is a challenge to myself, would I act in such a way that people would look at me as a Christian and say, that's the life I want to live. I mean, if all they see is the hardship, no. But if they see
0: Uh, that uh, keeping the focus on on God uh, in Christ you, uh, and um, have, having a spiritual mindset towards the towards the ministry towards uh, the, this earthly tent that we talked about back in chapter five. Um, so so he talks about. Um, physical mistreatments and some of the other things that he goes through his sleepless nights fastings whether that was him him choosing to fast or whether he just had to go without food for for a time um, and then also seeing in in verses six and seven the these qualities these godly qualities that could not be compromised that couldn't that uh, he couldn't alter or faint in Um, and so say uh, things such as purity the knowledge patience kindness and you know it's not just patience and kindness when it's convenient or when there's not persecution and when I'm, I'm at risk of losing my life it's during those times. It's especially during those times. And, and so all of these things are, are going together. The, these godly characteristics. Um, and you see them all, as we've already mentioned, in Christ. What he did on the cross is the perfect manifestation of, uh, of these. Of, of, of true, of sincerity, as we've already mentioned, of love. Um, very good still have a little bit of time left with verses eight uh, and eight through ten by honor and dishonor by evil report and good report as deceivers and yet true as unknown and yet well known as dying and behold we live as chastened and yet not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, and yet possessing everything. And so you see the the transformation of paul 's mindset continuing here. Um, in this section. Uh, he, ha- he has gone through dishonor. He's gone through evil report, bad report. Um, from a worldly view, they, they may think of him as unknown and dying and pathetic and who what kind of follower of God would go through this stuff. But no, he is, he's following in Christ's uh, Christ's footsteps. In, in verse 10, a uh, couple of interesting ideas as having nothing and yet possessing all things. Do we have anything or do we have nothing or do we have all things? Thinking, uh, do we, how do we view what we have in Christ? Is that enough? Is that, is that what our existence is for? From a worldly perspective, as poor yet making many rich, we're going to see that idea later on in, in chapter 8, uh, that that's essentially what Christ has done for us. Thinking, thinking about the, the worldly perspective, um, or the worldly mindset versus this, uh, earthly earth versus a spiritually heavenly mindset. Yes, Alan.
1: He talks about though they're sorrowful, they rejoice. He said in another place, rejoice, and I said say rejoice. And he uh, talks to, I believe, Peter, that the Christian will suffer. We're going to suffer. And maybe we need to find the happiness and joy. You know, so many people leave the church or leave the Lord seeking joy and happiness that they should have found in Him. We can have joy. And I think what we've got to realize is that it may come through sorrow. And maybe what we need to be praying for is um, the sorrow, the persecution, the suffering as a Christian, let me be found worthy
0: to suffer, and I will find joy through that. A- absolutely. Uh, you think of, of those early disciples who, who uh, considered it, um, it with all joy that they were able to suffer for, for the cause of Christ, uh, you can see here a direct connection, a relationship between God transforming us and our ability to endure. If we aren't able to endure, it's because we've not been transformed as we ought. Uh, and and so um, fi- finding that joy uh, that idea of, in verse 9, as dying and yet behold we live, chastened and yet not killed. You can see that uh, from back in chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. You can see it, see that idea of uh, what, what has been gone through. Um, we have true life in that. Yes, never.
1: I see the real empowering comment that he makes actually in verse 1 when he acknowledges who he's partners with, right? Mm-hmm. So working together with him, with Christ. And so I feel like that's what sort of made all the difference And all these he talks later about who you're partnered with and not being bound with unbelievers, but again, instead working together with Christ and who you are partners with, that you able to do things.
0: Very good. Yeah, um, working together with Christ um, in verse one, and we're gonna see that contrast um, later on with who who we who we uh, work with, who we labor with. Raymond and then Ron. Working with sounds like the garden
3: again. I was gonna bring up what you said about being transformed. Um, Pretend that's like a checklist for what Jesus went through, and that if you're if you're in that, um, you, Paul's doing us a really good service here by giving us the um, proper mindset for those things. Um, with without that instruction, w- what would you have? Because you wouldn't be able to comprehend why you're being persecuted necessarily. But if you're the body of Christ, you're the ministry here. You can expect that. Um, that the suffering continues like for us um, across the globe and uh, the instruction is it appears one way but the truth is this other thing and I really appreciate what he said about the transformation and, and that goes to Alan's point I think that's what you were making about falling away when you maybe not you maybe didn't receive the truth I, I think that's what happened to me when I was younger I didn't necessarily receive Um
0: I don't know how to phrase it, but it's real. Okay. Thank you. In called to do as being image bearers of God, and everyone goes through uh, through difficulties of life. But we we have a we have a, an, a heavenly mindset uh, by which we can we can see we can have that hope. Thank you. Any other thoughts or comments? thinking about how he he describes what commends him as a minister of God, what commends him as a servant. It's this list. It's, It's humbling to see all that Saul of Tarsus had to suffer through, what he gave up, what he counted as rubbish, for the, for the glory of Christ. He doesn't commend himself in the amount of Bible study that he does. He doesn't commend himself in his church attendance. Or how much that he contributes and gives to the poor. Um, he commends himself a, as a, as a Christ-bearer. And so that's what I, uh, I encourage you to take with you um, throughout the rest of this week. I'm sorry I haven't been getting out questions. I'll be sure to get questions out for uh, the last part of chapter 6. So thank you all for your
5: comments.